and welcome to the Government Digital Service Podcast. My name is Vanessa Schneider, and I am Senior Channels and Community Manager at GDS. Today, we'll be talking about how product teams can play a role in greening delivery. While digital ways of working often mean moving away from paper-based processes, there is still plenty that can be done by professionals in the public sector to contribute to environmentally sustainable practice. The government has recognized the role it can play and set out its ambition in the 2011 Greening Government ICT strategy. The strategy provides a vision for sustainable digital delivery and ways of working. Last year, the Department for Environment, Food, and Rural Affairs, which is also known as DEFRA, published the newest iteration of the strategy covering the government's approach until 2025. In it, DEFRA identified opportunities across the government estate to deliver energy-saving benefits, for instance, in server utilization and software design, or to include sustainability criteria in procurement. In today's episode, on Earth Day, we'll explore this important issue and hear from colleagues who are taking steps to make their delivery more green. Joining me now are Adam Turner and Emily Labram. Thank you both for being here today. Would you mind introducing yourself and what you do to our listeners? Uh, let's start with Adam. Hi everyone. Uh, yeah, Adam Turner. I work for uh, Defra, um, and for my sins, I am in charge of sustainable ICT across uh, all government departments. Um, so to, to make that happen, basically, I, I I write the strategy and I chair the cross government group. Um, so I've managed the governance to make this kind of stuff happen and help advise departments on delivering uh, all that goodness. Brilliant. Thank you, Adam. Uh, Emily, how about you? Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Emily Labram. I'm a lead product manager at the Government Digital Service. Right now, I'm working in digital identity, uh, which means I'm helping make it easier for users to access government services online. And previously, I worked in the world of infrastructure at GDS. So I got very interested in how sustainably we were hosting our services. And that's where I also met Adam and worked with him on um, improving the sustainability of our hosting. Perfect, thank you. So Adam, at the top of the episode, I shared a bit of information about the Greening Government ICT strategy, but would you mind giving the listeners an explanation that's not quite so amateur? <laughs> um, not amateur at all, Vanessa. Um, Yes, so the tagline for the strategy for the new one that we published in September 2020 for the next five years is responsible and resilient. I don't actually use the word sustainable or green in the title at all, but basically what I'm trying to say through the strategy, what we are trying to say, is that um, all our ICT is is delivering goodness. Um, It's part of the solution to the climate crisis and not part of the problem. Um, so within that, we have broken it down really into three key areas. Um, so this is around, firstly, uh, net zero ambitions, obviously tied into government ambitions for net zero by 2050. So it's linking your ICT sustainability targets with your departmental or organizational uh sustainability targets the second one is around circular so everything around what we would used to have called waste um, but now we more commonly talk about resources because if you're using less of the world's resources and you're using for example remanufactured ict and you're taking ownership of that stuff potentially at end of life and thinking about where it goes then you've got more control 
over the system. And then the third one is around that kind of social aspect. And yes, much of this is in the procurement space, but there's also a need to understand this from a design perspective as well. The Prime Minister set out a statement on modern slavery last year that highlighted ICT as a high-risk area. Um, so we need to make sure we're squeaky clean in that area. That definitely brings it much more to life. Your examples seem much more practical than sort of the high-level stuff that I mentioned. So thank you for that. Um, yeah, so Emily, as a lead product manager, I believe you are, and an advocate for sustainability, I was wondering where you see the opportunities to improve sustainability in your area of practice. Yeah, so um, a couple of years ago, I started to wonder uh, what the role of product managers and digital teams was in bringing down our emissions um, in line with our net zero targets. And I realized that actually getting a working knowledge of where emissions actually are uh, when it comes to building and running digital services was the first step. I realized that because services are called digital and because they're hosted in the cloud, that it's quite common for product managers, especially people like me who didn't have a technical background, misunderstood that digital services and the cloud are something almost immaterial. That was the first shift that I made when I started realizing that actually <laughs> to host a service, keep it up and running, you know, involves these vast data centers. They are very real. They are very material. Um, and they are kept running by electricity um, and water, <laughs> electricity which you know could be produced in, in any number of ways, some of which could be by burning fossil fuels. And all of that was something of a kind of revelation for me a couple of years ago. And I do think that that started to get complex pretty quick. <laughs> um, uh, but just to get started by thinking, all right, let's get a working knowledge of the sorts of emissions that my job actually produces was a good first step. Oh, okay. Interesting. We actually spoke with uh, Mohammed Hamid or Mo from the Chief Digital Information Office and Cabinet Office, and uh, he has some more insight into server space and the impact it can have on the environment. So my name is Mohammed, and I'm a lead infrastructure engineer at the Cabinet Office. Uh, what that means is I look after the connectivity and the back-end uh, sort of infrastructure that supports the services that we offer to our users. So for us and for me, our users are, are the, the cabin office staff that consume and use laptops, IT infrastructure, wireless connectivity, internet uh, access to the internet from offices, uh, and then things like, uh, like the VPN, for example. Great. So we're discussing how to green delivery in different parts of ICT within government. So I was wondering, where can it go wrong? Is there something such as over-engineering in your line of work, perhaps? That's a great question. For me, yeah, just over-engineering, it is possible. In today's world, there's a big drive to move things to the cloud. So traditionally, you'd have your data centers on site uh, in the office somewhere, and you'd have a server room, and that's where you would host things like email or applications. Uh, but however, there's a big trend to moving off-site to the cloud. And often what I find and from experience is the, you know, looking at it from a green environmental perspective is often not thought about. Uh, and the reasons for that is varying, but one of the reasons would be that isn't really thought of when the requirements, there's always the requirement seems to be, yeah, we need to shift, lift and shift, migrate into the cloud. Do I just simply migrate all the servers and create virtual machines in the cloud? 
in the very same way as I would do in a, in a physical ser uh, server room. No, you wouldn't do that. You would make use of the cloud tools that are out there uh, and and finding out, you know, how do I make use of those tools to better serve your users and the environment? So to delve even further, what that means is, so in a traditional server room, you might, you might have you know, lots, lots of servers running and some storage behind that, and that all requires power. Uh, and that's all producing CO2 gases uh, somewhere in the life cycle there. Uh, you, don't, you, don't, you don't need to just have servers running all the time in the cloud. You can only have it running at a minimal level. And then when demand increases, for example, you can then spin up more servers. So this is we're talking about scaling here. Do I need, as an example, do I need five servers running at 24-7, you know, 30 days of the month all the time? Probably not. You probably, uh, you know, at nighttime, your demand may decrease. Having flexibility in a contract um, so that you can scale up and down is quite handy. Is there any other sort of best practice advice that you have to pass on to anybody else who might be working in infrastructure engineering and is listening to the episode? Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, I don't think I can cover everything, but um, I think one of the things you need to look at, for, and it's best to do this from the early on, is to not use tools that will get you locked in to one particular cloud provider. Perhaps in the future, you may want to migrate from cloud provider A or to cloud provider B, or you may want to host in A and B together simultaneously. Um, so being locked in one uh, isn't a good thing because you 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 might have other players in the future, or we might have a player that are more uh, are more green. Number two, when you're designing your your IT or your infrastructure or whatever you're looking to to provide, uh, security I think also plays a part. Not just because you want to protect your your services, obviously, but also from from uh, your services being used for other malicious things. So I had a friend who was running a couple of servers in, in the cloud infrastructure, and then one day he realized uh, that one of his servers was running at a hundred percent CPU consistently all the time. So he logged in and checked, you know, what's going on here. Had to fiddle around, looked through looked through his server environment, and then realized uh, his server was being used for bit mining. So, you know, cryptocurrency finding the next Bitcoin and his server had been compromised. There were some malicious scripts running uh, and therefore it was running at full CPU, 100% uh, CPU. Imagine that at that scale. And then that, again, is bad for the environment. That is fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing all of these, like pieces of information from a world that's so different to what I'm used to. I was wondering if there is anything final that you could think of which relate infrastructure engineering to sustainability that yet mentioned. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, the final thought for me is probably on a more personal level. And I think everyone can probably follow this is things like clearing out clutter in our emails. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'll put my hands up first for this. I'm, I'm the worst at this. I think I've got about 10,000 emails in my personal inbox. So clearing that up helps because you're, you're, that doesn't need to be stored anymore. And because it doesn't need to be stored anymore, eventually down the line, that will get deleted. And then think of, you know, if we zoom out a bit in the, that data center that's running that email service will have it deleted and there's more storage space freed up. And then uh, if we all do that, there's less storage space needed. Uh, so these are little things that we can do to clear up um, your emails if you can. So uh, that was Mo. Uh, I was wondering, is there anything that you particularly connected with what he was saying? Or is there anything that you found particularly noteworthy that you'd like to explore? Well, first of all, go Mo. 
that was <laughs> that was awesome. Um, it's really heartening for someone like me who's been working in this for over a decade to hear someone talking so uh, passionately and eloquently and usefully about this topic. So um, fantastic. I'll just pick up on a few of his points. Um, absolutely, sustainability is a non-functional requirement. People forget this. Um, it should be thought of in the same way as accessibility, availability, security, safety. Um, all of those are, are the same and you need to think about them at the beginning. And the challenge is in infrastructure is that industry will be saying we're getting greener by default. Across government, we've got this thing called crown hosting. We are super efficient. And um, in terms of energy efficiency and green energy and uh, the way that they run things. So you move there and it's going to get greener. But the but the reality is, in lots, well, there's a few things going on. Um, firstly, we forget to turn off the old stuff. So that carries on running um, because of complications, because it's often not as simple as you've just got a single service sitting on a single set of servers, right? So you turn off bits of it, but you've got to leave all the rest of it going. You just lift and shift your, your stuff and you carry across those requirements. And, you know, as again, as Mo was saying, you, you don't need to be... Um, running this stuff 24-7 in the cloud. You only you only need to spin it up when you actually need it. And but to do this takes a bit more work. You need that sustainability in there as a non-functional requirement with some expertise right at the beginning of any project and program. When you're looking at the infrastructure, when you're making your choices so you know that you go to the right place, you don't end up without vendor locking. Um, you you are controlling the service that you are consuming in the same way that you're managing the cost. You are tracking your use of carbon and you're getting that data back from those service providers. Um, because we all need this as increasingly the world will be looking on digital to prove that it's providing a net gain. And not, as I say, not being part of the problem. Um, the, the bit about bit mining was, was fascinating. That's It's a, a really good classic example of an you know, unintended consequence of um, digital being this huge, huge energy consumption, which is currently estimated to be on par with the consumption of Argentina. So it, it's absolutely incredible and currently unmanaged. Yeah, I totally agree with with all of that. And yeah, GOMO Mo reminds me of several very conscientious engineers that I've worked with in the past. Um, and it's been a process as a product manager to learn the role that every member of the team actually plays in simplifying the services that we build um, on a continual basis, rather than just going super fast and optimizing to deliver the features that you know are user facing. So to Adam's point about the non-functional side, um, reliability, security, sustainability, all of that, it needs to be made, time needs to be made for it. Um, as a product manager, I've learned <laughs> I've learned to understand that actually I do need to be managing and tracking things like infrastructure cost um, at the same time as all the other perhaps more shiny user-facing metrics um, that I might otherwise be tracking. So something I've learned as a product manager is to track those as what I might call what we call health metrics. 
It's actually really great to hear liability standing out to you folks so much because it feels like it coincides with our next clip where I'm talking to Matthew Hobbs or Matt, uh, who's a front end developer working on gov.uk. So my understanding of this area is pretty rudimentary, but from what I know, front end is pretty important in providing that reliability of services, but clearly there's also scope for sustainability. My name is uh, uh, Matthew Hobbs or Matt Hobbs. Um, I'm the head of front end and a, a lead front end developer at uh, the Government Digital Service. So for someone who doesn't know, like myself, what front end is, can you please first explain what falls under front end? And then because I'm not asking enough of you, how can it be used to support our ambitions of becoming more environmentally sustainable? Uh, that's a big question it's a big, one. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. It's a big question yeah um so essentially um a lot of the um uh, computation that happens uh in a user's browser happens within the front end essentially so what you see as a person coming to our website that is essentially the front end uh the pixels being uh, drawn to a screen is the front end code essentially. So um, there's a lot of um, computational power that goes into that. Um, so by optimizing the front end, you can actually um, make things better from a uh, environmental point of view and from a performance point of view and from a user interaction point of view as well. So that's essentially where the front end comes into this piece of the puzzle. So do you have a practical example where you have perhaps optimized the code in order to improve the performance and make it more sustainable when it comes to website content? Yes. So probably the, the one that I always go back to is, is um, from around about 2018, 2017, 2018, where we were delivering our uh, fonts for gov.uk in a very specific way. It was quite an, an old school way of delivering fonts that was actually um, making it heavier, um, as in the page weight heavier for users. Um, and we reworked um, how they were delivered to users uh, or delivered to browsers. And uh, therefore, it sort of streamlined the experience and actually cut down the amount of data that was actually being used um, on the front end. And it, overall, it should have improved the experience for, for the vast majority of users. So I know that we talked at the very beginning about um, sort of what front end development is in terms of sort of the pixels that appear on your page. So um, I was wondering on that front, does it matter what kind of equipment the user has when it comes to how you code it? Or should the code work for anything, whether I've got an old Nokia phone or the newest iPhone? So where... Um... Uh, how we approach front-end development um, at GDS is using um, a methodology called progressive enhancement. Um, so essentially, we build um, the uh, lowest minimal viable product first um, and then layer on um, additional features um, as they as uh, as you work through it. So if uh, if you you are using a modern browser um, and it supports modern features, it will get a more um, modern experience. Whereas if you are on an old an old browser or on an old device, they will um, users with these devices will receive an experience that works, but it won't be um, all the bells and whistles essentially. 
as you are on more modern hardware and you're on a more modern browser, um, it's able to cope with that. Whereas if you are on an old device or an older browser, um, there's the assumption that the actual hardware involved in the device won't be able to cope um, with that additional code. Brilliant. So uh, if we have anybody who is a front-end developer listening, is there any way that they can access this kind of best practice? Yes, we have uh, we have some guidance in the service manual, and we also have some um, guidance in the um, GDS way as well. So if they're working on their own and are faced with a huge project, do you have any words of advice or motivation? Well, yeah, I mean, the um, and as uh, you would say around um, improving accessibility for a website, um, the it's important to realize that it doesn't always need to be solved um, at once. Um, as long as you are improving it a little bit every day um, and it's better than it was the day before, that's essentially the best you can do. Um, and that's essentially how you should um, look at um, web performance optimization as well. And the sustainability aspects is, have I improved it today? Yes, then we're going in the right direction. Was Matt? Yeah, I love what Matt said. And I always, I discovered how important front end developers and designers are in the effort to reduce complexity, to reduce cost emissions, and also the beautiful like win-wins that Matt was talking about. So I love the fact that improving performance that Matt would also be making it possible for users who have older phones to carry on having a good experience, which means they don't have to throw their old phones away, which is something that I, with my old brick, really appreciate and also makes a service more uh, equitable, inclusive, um, which is something that because we're in government, we have to care about making things work for everyone, um, making things accessible for everyone. And it's also something that makes working in government super exciting because we get to care about this. Um, so, yeah, thanks, Matt. Very cool. Yeah, I equally loved um, what Matt said. The the things from, we've talked largely about greening ICT so far, but, but what Matt's picking up on there is that sustainability is about um, all three pillars, you know, it's, it's social and environmental and about cost savings as well. And, and those three things in balance. So if you're making a service, if you're designing a service, making a web page as easy to use as possible. And as Emily said, you can still work on a Nokia 3310 or that. That wouldn't actually be possible, would it? Um, but I think that's really, really important because those end users have a better experience. It's quicker, it's slicker. And often to remember from a sustainability point of view, um, often in, in terms of government services, especially um, we're replacing older sort of paper-based systems or manual systems, um, which, which of course has that saving as well. So you, you want something that works crisply and cleanly and, and it needs to um, be simple um, and obviously, the, the more simple it is and easy to use, the happier the, the end user is. And you end up using less energy and you've got happier people and they've saved time and the whole thing's costing you less to run and it all fits together really nicely. But it's a massive growing area that isn't really appreciated yet. And if you spend a bit more time, put a bit more thought into what you're delivering, you're going to end up something that's going to keep everyone happier and you know will run more efficiently and cost you less. 
So there's definitely something about taking your time and getting it right the first time to make it last. So the way that Matt was talking about progressive enhancement, it's nice to know that, you know, nobody will have to go back to the code and uh, redo it from scratch as innovations come and go. Like it's, it's built up in a simple way, a bit different from the way that teams will occasionally accumulate tech debt because uh, there are urgent deliverables. Yeah, I love that too. And as I've got more senior as a product manager, I do see now that my role as a lead product manager is to push back sometimes and to create space for teams so that they do have the time. Um, They have the time and the freedom to do things in the right way and to do that hard work that we always talk about at GDS to kind of make things simple for users. And It's really a delivery thing um, as much as it is a product thing, but it's about the way that we work and that it's iterative. Um, We use the agile approach um, and that that means that we do reduce waste because we test early and often. Um, We find out what works um, from the riskiest first. um, And that means we can deliver little bits of value early and often continuously and that we waste less. So that's a kind of key key part of how as digital people um, we we help in the effort to kind of reduce emissions uh yeah it, it kind of reminds me of the reuse reduce recycle mantra actually uh, yeah there's an awful lot of research out there um from from universities showing now that the you know that kind of um law of ever increasing performance of things and increasing capacity and is, is it Moore's law i can never quite remember but yes the uh Basically, you can go, you can use refurbished servers and they are performing or even outperforming new servers. And obviously, if you're buying refurbished kits, um, that stuff hasn't been dug out of the ground, sort of virgin resources um, you're reutilizing as well. So um, embedding that kind of circular thinking into your um, hosting, etc. cetera, uh, it, you know, the, the pace of development is not something that's scary anymore um it's quite fine to use a more sustainable alternative on that point about circularity as well i also wanted to recognize product managers role to to sometimes notice that we can retire things whether that's even just a feature that no one's really using um or whether it's an entire product or service um and then and continually retiring things from small to big, um, as well as continually building, that circularity also helps, I think, to kind of minimize the amount of energy that we are using to keep the stuff that we have up and running. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Good point. Uh, I know that we've been talking sort of about the physical quite a lot, but actually the thing that the user probably most interacts with when it comes to government services is the written word. Uh, so we have the, the good fortune of one of GDS's content writers sharing their perspective with us. Hello, my name is Rosa and I'm a content designer with the Gov.UK accessibility team. Uh, But what that means is I help other content designers make sure that everything on Gov.UK is as accessible as possible to everyone who visits Gov.UK. Brilliant. So it's like guidance attachments like PDFs or HTMLs, preferably, of course, Um, and I think would would easy reads fall into content as well? Easy read does fall into content. Uh, and that is to do with accessibility. So there there is some guidance in that. But it can also be simple things like heading structures 
and using images and how to make that accessible, how to make your videos accessible. And all those little things also help save the environment as well because it means people will spend less time looking looking at things. We do follow a style guide so that there is consistency in how any piece of content is uh is presented to our users. All our content is about making it easier for for people to find the information they need or to complete a transaction that they need to do to get on with their lives. A good piece of good content design is almost something that you don't actually notice. It's just there and next thing you know you're like, oh, I know the information that I was looking for or, oh, wow, I've just applied for a new passport. Didn't even know that was going to be that simple kind of thing. So in that respect, you, you're you making your users save a lot of time on whether it be their desktop on the mobile. And I think that has to be good for the environment because they're spending less time. Definitely, yeah. I think there's so much that content design can influence on the user end of things with reducing their electric consumption. Um, another thing that I was thinking of that falls into content design is um, also sort of the, the guidance that you give um, on use of images, for instance, or um, trying to apply plain English. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that is very right. Um, I mean, with images, uh, we are very clear that you really shouldn't be using images for decorative reasons. And I think you will, you'll probably have noticed that a lot of the times people like to have an image on a page just because that's what they're used to doing it. But if it adds absolutely no value to the content, then there's no need for you to add an image. But of course, there will be instances where you may need to have an image. And for example, uh, if you're showing graphs or charts, but even then, we make sure that um, it's not it's not a massive file size, so that it takes a long time to uh, upload or, or anything like that. Uh, and but we also make sure that any image used in gov.uk, that there is enough description within the text, so that if you don't have the image, you'll still be able to understand uh, the whole content. It's a bit like it's a bit. Opposite to your university days, actually, you know how you, you have a word limit for your essays <laughs> and you write 100 words and you're thinking, well, how can I make this like 500? Mm. I think in content design, you start with 100 words and you end up with 20 words. Oh, Rose is so brilliant. Yeah. Well, that was all about the beauty of doing away with anything unnecessary and getting to something incredibly simple. And I think it just speaks to the role that every single person on a team, in fact, every single person in the organisation actually has in, in cutting away that kind of craft, that waste and getting to the simplest process or the simplest experience for users. And in that process, getting rid of um, unnecessary electricity usage, waste, Etc. and therefore emissions. Yes, I, I loved what uh, Rosa was talking about. Um, I've, I've fallen foul of, of these guidelines, I, I must admit. So I've learned these the hard way, um, despite working sustainability for as long as I have, um, developing strategies and, and reports that I've laboured over, created fantastic diagrams, only to have the gov.uk style team 
say, really? <laughs> do, you, do you need that? Um, and what it makes you realise is, yeah, actually, a lot of it is just fluff. Um, so you just read the facts and boil it right down. I think one of the things that makes me um, really excited about Rose's contribution is also a lot of the time people maybe get told that, you know, words don't really necessarily have the same impact. But in this case, the words are making the impact, you know, by thinking about how you phrase things, thinking about being able to be more concise or uh, making things easier to understand. Um, it then means people are spending less time on the page. They're able to go, get ahead with what they're doing much faster. And that that has that that effect that people are essentially using less electricity and contributing less to emissions. So, yeah, I don't know. It's just sort of like that cheesy uh, thought of the pen is mightier than the sword. Hey, it's it's not cheesy at all, is it? And like I say, I had to learn this the hard way. It's so easy when you're um, designing a, a website or creating a document or a content or whatever to say, refer to diagram you know, reference image one or something, and the, but you're not actually explaining it. Um, and it really makes you sit down and think about what it is that you're trying to get across. Um, and there's some really, really great people um, across the content teams, across government that have, that have got this nailed in, in how to make this simple and effective. And you're right, it takes up less space, got less servers running in the background, and people can access the information quicker and more efficiently. And that has to be a good thing. Also on that, it's about getting the right trade-offs, I think is what, you know, the the great skill that the content designers have is that they're able to, to get to that 20 words, but those 20 words are actually the right ones and they get across exactly what's needed, even though there's hardly any words there at all. I think what you're pointing at, Adam, is these trade-offs are quite painful sometimes. You know, you, you might have invested loads of time in, in kind of perhaps it's a... a a particular feature or it's a, a piece of content or it's a you know a user journey and and then you know it's having those brave difficult conversations to kind of challenge and go actually do we need all of that how does that actually work in user research in practice and being re ready to sort of kill off stuff that isn't working um, and I think that's why you need highly skilled people in these disciplines in order to help make the best possible trade-offs between you know, for example, the amount of bandwidth that the NHS service is using for video um, and the amount of usefulness of that video to users and getting the, the amount of bandwidth or the, the exact decision right or and iterating those over time. So I'd like to make a couple of little plugs, if I may. Firstly, the, the, the strategy that we mentioned right at the beginning, Vanessa, um, mentions the idea of a responsible digital citizen. And the idea behind that was me trying to get across, um, and I've been engaging with the DDAT profession across government to try and make this happen, is that every single role across the um, digital and data and technology profession across government recognises that they need to think about everything through the sustainability lens. And um, I think personally that's really important, and I think what we've heard today is even in the most unlikely places, like... Um, how, how we put things on a web page and you know how we think about the phrasing of those words to replace a picture and actually that's going to be better is is having a huge sustainability uh, benefit so the other quick plug i'd like to mention is the professional body of IEMA institute of environmental management and assessment and their basic drive is that everybody in every 
profession should think about sustainability. Um, so that's just as relevant to us here in digital and data as it is to everyone else. Yeah, so obviously we've heard from three colleagues and we've had Emily as well um, in the podcast giving us these practical measures that maybe people who are listening who work in the digital space could apply or convince their colleagues to apply. Um, I was wondering whether we can maybe pull back a little bit and think about sort of like what effect we're hoping this will have. And maybe that's something again for you, Adam, to talk about. But I know, Emily, you're quite invested in um, in sustainability work as well. And it might be uh, an opportunity for you to reflect on why this is important to you as well. Sure. So as I say, the most important thing for organizations out there to, to you've got to understand where you are at the moment. And the most effective way of doing that is to look at your current ICT footprint. Um, so there's numerous ways you can do that, but effectively it's your asset register with a bunch of assumptions tagged to it. Um, and then once you understand that, and then you start looking at your ICT waste um, and you get this, this picture of where you're at. Now, obviously, increasingly, we've been talking about the move to the cloud and the big chunk of the work we've been involved with for the last couple of years has been working with our cloud suppliers to try and understand our footprint in the cloud. We've been working really closely with um, our key service providers um, in public cloud, private cloud, um, and more traditional hosting to try and get to the bottom of that. Once we've helped all of that, and we are publishing a new report in um, the next couple of months, and we've got the last 10 years worth of reports up there, you can see the government footprint for our hosting. All the stuff that we've been talking about today, you would hope would help bring that figure down and it would get lower. And then all the other benefits from digital that kind of um, that we've all experienced through COVID, you know, all that reticence that was out there for using tools like Zoom um, with cultures that that told people that they had to go to offices, they had to commute. Suddenly that's all up in the air. And you can see all of these savings across um, carbon savings from travel, um, from hopefully flights, we'll see where that one goes, um, from uh well, other areas as well. Um, you can see all those coming down and they've been enabled through digital, but we don't want digital to keep rising up. Data growth is rising exponentially, um, but the, the hosting of that is not rising exponentially because we are managing to green uh, the grid and operators are greening. Great, thank you, Adam. Um, yeah, Emily, any personal reflections? regarding um, why why you want to have this positive impact on environmental sustainability? I think what motivates me is to know that I am doing, doing my bit in my role, that I know how my role connects to the commitments that we've made um, as a nation. Um, and that's taken two forms now. The first thing is championing the commitments that we have made, making sure that as an organization um, that we are tracking, we are managing our emissions in the same way as we manage the other things that we care about. And so I have pointed to Adam's work um, and pointed to the tools that are available and asked questions at the relevant moments. Um, and, and we've made some good progress there. Um, but the other thing um, I think I've realized is that it's about really focusing on what I can do within my craft and within my role um, and how I can become a more deep expert um, on what it means to do product management in a sustainable way, what it means to lead product teams 
and enable them to do to build products in sustainable ways. And that's where my effort and my interest is now. It's, I think it's important to recognise where IT and digital has moved from. It's moved into the centre of organisations and therefore vital to deliver their corporate agenda and their commitments. So whatever organisation is out there, it, it, it's unfeasible now to say that you, you can deliver the objectives of your organisation and your commitments, whoever you are, um, whether you're a sustainability organisation or not. Um, you can't do it without digital and tech but i think it's very important to know that we're at the beginning of this journey in recognizing um how everyone can get involved and it's great uh, the the momentum's there um everyone's really passionate about this everyone's recognizing that they need to cut down on their flights think about you know the meat they consume think about where their energy is being sourced and slowly but surely we're waking up to the role of digital in tech in that and as we learn more about this we as a profession can share expertise and it's been wonderful to hear all of these examples today um, and, and get this in as part of training for everyone and share best practices and really start to um, create the momentum to push this forward. I was going to recommend Designing for Sustainability by Tim Frick. And I would say if there's any digital folk listening who want to just start to get a more a general understanding of where emissions are and how they can be managed and reduced in a digital team, that's the book that's helped me out the most. Gosh, it's so exciting hearing you respond so positively to what's already happening in government. I mean, I know it's Earth Day, which, of course, will be a reminder to many to think about the impact their actions have. But it's much more encouraging that even when it's not Earth Day, these efforts are underway here. Um, so on such a positive note, I want to say thank you so much to all of our guests for coming on today and, and sharing all of this best practice and giving us motivation, hope, advice to do our best when it comes to greening in government, especially in the digital space. So you can listen to all of the episodes of the Government Digital Service Podcast on Apple Music, Spotify, and all other major podcast platforms. And the transcripts are available on Podbean. Goodbye. Bye. Thank Bye, you. Bye, everyone.